This episode was recorded in 2022. Welcome to the Spring Back Guide podcast, formerly known as the New Leaf podcast, where I share the stories of a bunch of amazing women whose professional lives and identities have all been transformed for the better by becoming a mum. My name is Letty, and I'm the founding coach of the Spring Back Guide, created to get you back to work happy after your baby. This podcast is made for you. Ready to dive in? Okay, let's go. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) You're so welcome. Where are you in the world right now? I'm in Surrey and I can see the trees from my back garden. Oh, lovely. Surrey is just the nicest bit of the world. It is lovely. So tell me about your immediate family unit. My two children, Emily and Joshua, and my dog, Bella. Oh, I don't even know where to begin with this because for anybody who's listening, especially if you're based in London and the South East, you will have heard of Kicks Count just from seeing posters and things all over the hospitals and also just from me banging on about it. And I'm very grateful to Elizabeth because it's her posters that saved my little boy who's now two and a half. It saved his life. So I'm so so grateful to you and it's just such a privilege to have you Mm. on the show and it's but I know that you'll feel like you'll have told this story a hundred times but I do know that there are still people who don't know anything about Kicks Count so I guess tell me what you did pre-baby. I did a mixture of things pre-baby. When I finished university, I started working in childcare and I wanted to get out of a job that I was in. And I just applied to kind of any jobs that were going, one of which was an admin assistant for Surrey Police. And I got that job. So I thought, well, I'll go there until I kind of can find what I really want to do. And I loved it so much that I just stayed there for seven years. The only reason I left there was because of having the children and moving on to Kicks Count. I absolutely loved the job I went to. Yeah. So that must have been quite exciting. So interesting. Yeah. And I think that's what made it. It was such an interesting job and it just was so varied as well. It wasn't the same thing every day. It was so different and the people were amazing. So it was so much fun to go to work. So you then said that all changed and you had been really enjoying it, but then yes, life happened. So what went on? Well, I had my first daughter, Emily, and obviously went on maternity leave and went back and they were really supportive, flexible working, all this. I think I went down to three days a week and still loved it. And then I got pregnant again with my second child and sadly he was born sleeping. So I lost him halfway through the pregnancy and it just changed everything really because although I loved the job I felt there was something else I needed to do it was such a life-changing experience losing Toby that I knew I had to do something about stillbirth and kind of my whole focus shifted and my heart wasn't then really in admin anymore I was driven to do something else And I did go on to have my third baby, so Joshua, and I was still working for the police then. And then when I was on maternity leave with Joshua, I decided to put my efforts into changing the career and doing things for prevention of stillbirth 
I can't even imagine what it must have been like to go through the excitement of being pregnant. It's your second pregnancy, maybe a bit less worried, Mm. know what to expect a bit more. I'm putting words in your mouth. Is this how you felt? When I had my daughter initially, I'd I'd had several miscarriages before her. I'd got to the 12-week mark with her and thought, okay, that's fine. I still don't feel completely safe, but you know, this is the furthest I've got. And I felt quite positive and I was so looking forward to having a baby. And then her birth was quite traumatic and I had postnatal depression after she was born. And the whole experience was completely different to what I had envisaged. And then I had this image in my head of what having a baby was going to be like. And especially with each miscarriage, I think my view of motherhood became more and more rose tinted. And, you know, what I was missing out on was perfect and So I was expecting this baby to be absolutely the most joyful experience of my life. And she would just sit and kind of goo goo, da da da, da, wouldn't it be lovely? And then it wasn't like that at all. And so I suffered quite badly with postnatal depression and the whole experience. So then when I got pregnant again, I looked up all of the statistics and things because obviously I had a history of miscarriages and it said, oh, if you've had a live birth, that kind of counteracts the miscarriages that you're not going to be at a higher risk anymore. And my Mm -hmm. risk was now the same as everyone else's. I wasn't at that increased risk because I'd had previous miscarriages. So I felt a lot more comfortable with the second pregnancy and I I knew what was coming. So I didn't have this rose tinted view of what motherhood was going to be like. I had a realistic view of what motherhood was going to be like. Everything just seemed to be going more smoothly and it just felt right. So then when things started to not be quite right, it was such a shock. And well, I don't think you can explain it to somebody who hasn't lost a baby that the the feeling just feels like the whole world comes out from under you. You just don't you just don't know where you are, you don't know what's happening. And it was just so traumatic, I think is the the only way to describe it. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because I don't know what the landscape was like around stillbirth at the time. So what year was this? This was 2010. So this is actually quite a long time ago now. Yeah, it was. And I mean, there was Facebook at the time and I think Instagram, but Instagram wasn't really the space that it is now. And social media has had a huge contribution to birth awareness generally and also just pregnancy awareness. So what resources existed at that time? The resources were there, but you didn't necessarily know they were there. Like I think that's the great thing about social media now is you can make people aware of what is out there for them. And I found one forum site in America that I just went on and that was where I found other people who were going through the same thing. And it was very helpful, but it was only one outlet for me really. And I I just wanted to find other people who knew what you were going through. And I say, unfortunately, fortunately, I did have a friend who had a stillbirth a few years before and I could contact her. And the first thing I said to her was, I'm so sorry, I didn't realise how awful this was for you when you were going through it and it was so nice to have somebody there who could understand and we could talk and we could kind of help each other but obviously I didn't want her to have had that experience in order to have helped me but then I think well who was there for you when you had yours and it just kind of passes Mm -hmm. down almost that you need this group of people around you who is sharing your experience I'm so sorry for your friend as well. And I mean, just the scale 
of emotion that mm. you both must then have been feeling, not only to know that there's somebody else that's been through the same thing, but of course, just the loss of your babies. It's just so, so hard. Mm. So what actually happened and how did you know that all was not well with Toby? We'd actually gone on holiday and we'd gone up to the Lake District and I was feeling I was going, oh, there's something not quite right. The, the baby's not moving or not moving as much. And we'd been out for a meal. And so we said, oh, maybe it's just the dodgy lasagna that's making me feel a bit funny. And I said, no, something's not right. So we went to the hospital, but the nearest hospital was over an hour away because we were up in the Lake District and the nearest hospital, I think, was Lancaster. So we went down there and it was, I think it must have been a Sunday. And the scanning bit was closed. So they kind of said, oh, we'll check. We'll get up a mobile scanner for you. So they kind of got this mobile scanning unit that they brought up to check on the baby. And it was such a grainy image. It wasn't like the scanners that you get in the wards or, you know, when you go for an actual scan. It wasn't that quality. It was just really low. And they said, oh, we can't see well enough. You're going to have to come back when the scanning department's open. But I could just see he wasn't moving on the scan. And I think they knew as well, but obviously weren't confident enough to tell me. So could they hear a heartbeat? No, they couldn't find the heartbeat, but they didn't put as much onus on that because they said, you know, there's lots of reasons for that, but we need to do a proper Mm. check of the baby. And so we had to go home and then go back again the next day when the scanning department was open. Surely you didn't sleep at all. No, Mm. I didn't sleep. It was a weird night because I had my daughter there and we were with friends. So they were kind of looking after Mm. Emily and I was just laying there going, well, what time can we go back? What time can we go back? And they'd said to phone up in the morning at about 11 o'clock. And I thought, I can't wait till 11 o'clock to to go back in. So I said, well, we'll just go and kind of wait outside the hospital because it's still an hour away as well. So I thought, well, if we're there, at least when I phone up and they say, come in, I can be in in five minutes. So we did. We went, drove back down the hour drive and went in and they just did the scan. And then she kind of turned the screen away from me and she said, I'm going to have to go and get somebody else. And I just looked at my husband. And I said, this, this isn't good. You know, usually when you go on, they go, oh, yeah, there it is. Right. I'm just going to check this. I'm just going to check that. And so she got somebody else in who just kind of said, yeah, confirm or something and left. And then she just said, I'm really sorry, but your baby's died. And I just, I think I just wailed is probably the only word I can use. I just, uh, like, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what, I wasn't crying. I wasn't screaming, but I was just making this wailing sound really. And she said, oh, I'll, I'll leave you two in here for a moment. So she kind of left and it was just us two in this scanning room. And, you know, I said, can can I get some pictures to take? So she did. She took uh, some of the kind of screenshot or images mm-hmm. for us to keep. And then it was a case of, okay, now we've got to talk about birth. We've got to talk about delivering. And I just remember everything kind of going over my head, going, I'm on holiday. I'm I'm in a, like a strange place. Different I'm hospital, not in my, I'm not, yeah. I'm not near anyone. I'm not near my family. I'm not near my friends. So I said, look, I'm going to have to go back down to Guildford. I want to to do this in in Guildford and my daughter to have family and friends to come round and look after her. 
rather than being in this strange house somewhere. So they said, well, you can go back, but if you start having contractions on the way home, you're going to have to stop at your nearest hospital, wherever you are. And so then I was weighing up, well, is it better to stay somewhere where I know we've got a house or risk driving? Because it's a four and a half hour drive. I thought if we get two hours into the drive and then I need to stop somewhere even more random that we don't even have anywhere to stay. But I ended up saying, no, we've, we've got to try. We've got to try and get back. And we did. We made it back to Guildford. And just as we were probably about 20 minutes away, I started to get pains and contractions. So we just went straight to the hospital. And they actually said, it's not full labour yet. You can go home and come back. So I had to go home again and then go back a couple of days later for them to induce me. And yeah, it was just, it was, yeah, it was. And it was surreal. So when I went back, it was in the middle of the night and my waters had broken. And I went, oh my God. So we had to rush, get to take Emily out of bed put her in the car, drive to the hospital. My husband had to stay in the car with Emily while I went up to the labour ward. And they said, oh my gosh, the baby's coming. And I said, but my husband's not here. I can't do it on my own. He's down in the car waiting for his mum to come and pick up Emily. So one of the midwives said, okay, I'll go down and wait with your daughter so your husband can come back up. And they actually passed each other in the lift on the way down. So he ended up making it up in time. But it was things like that were really memorable. I think the care that I got, these midwives were doing everything to make this a least painful experience as it could have been, I guess. So much to unpick from what you're saying. I mean, and you'll have to forgive my ignorance, but I wonder if listeners are thinking the same thing. They had said to you, look, if you start having contractions, is that what often happens with an unwell baby or a stillbirth where they know that the body will start naturally trying to give birth and that was something that they knew that would be a risk because obviously at 20 weeks you don't expect to go into premature labor so why is it that happened I think you do go into labor and I think it's one of those things that once the placenta has stopped but I honestly don't know I just know that Mm. it was something that they told me to look out for to have been in your home hospital must have made a big difference. It did. It made a big difference. And it was also the hospital that I'd had Emily at. So I felt comfortable there and it wasn't as good then as it is now. But they did have a separate room for me so that I wasn't on the labour ward. It was like its own private room that was slightly away. They now have a room that's even further away, but it did mean that you couldn't necessarily hear as many babies crying and things like that. But it was it was still in the delivery suite. So when it did come time to leave, you're having to leave empty-handed and Mm -hmm. there's people out there walking up and down the corridor trying to get their babies to sleep it was just awful and it was one of the things I think is really important in hospitals is to have somewhere separate for women who are delivering a stillborn baby is somewhere where it's completely separate and they Mm -hmm. can leave without having to walk through the delivery suite they kind of everything can be separate I think that's so important it's traumatic enough without kind of having that added salt in the wounds. And how aware or not aware was Emily of everything that was happening? She knew that I wasn't well and she knew that we were supposed to be having a baby and then we weren't and then I got pregnant again so then it's okay now we are having a baby. So it was Mm. quite a strange one but I think fortunately she was young enough that Mm. it didn't affect her too much. It must be strange though so obviously I've just had 
my second and explaining to my oldest son, this is where babies come from, et cetera, et cetera. And it's quite abstract. So to then have to have those very grown up conversations around basically death and mm. explain that something was going to happen is now not going to happen. And I mean, Emily's much older now, but did there come a stage where she did start asking about that? She didn't at the time, no. So that side of things, fortunately, wasn't made harder. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine that would be and really difficult. Really difficult. And 20 weeks as well. I mean, that's such a milestone for people in so many ways, but mm. specifically because 20 weeks is usually when you have the physical abnormality scan, but most people see it as that's when you know the gender yeah. and it can feel so much more real that you're going to have a baby. And also people often see 20 weeks and because of that special scan, as they're like, oh, okay, well, we were still a bit cautious after the 12 weeks, but 20 weeks, oh, now, you know, we're good mm. to go. Everything's fine. So how did you cope? Just managing other people's responses, because I'm sure that the people around you that knew you were pregnant must have just been like incredulous, just thinking, how did this happen? Yeah, it was quite strange, actually, trying to tell people and you know because I've not had Facebook very long so I put it all over Facebook and yeah and then I didn't really want to then do a Facebook announcement about it so I just kind of deleted everything off my Facebook and in hindsight I really wish I hadn't because mm. I kind of wish I'd set it you know change the settings to set it as so that only I could see it or something because I do now further down the line I wish I still had those memories on there and obviously I've still got the scan pictures and I've still got various things, but I would have loved to have still had that kind of documentation of that pregnancy. I mean, it's always easier in hindsight, isn't it? But I would have liked to have kept it on there. But yeah, people don't know what to say. And I think the human instinct is to try and make it better. I'm trying to, oh, well, at least you. And the one thing I can say to anyone is do not start any sentence to someone who's lost a baby with at least because it's just yeah. the most awful expression and you just go, no, there's no at least about it. There's no, at least you don't have to have sleepless nights. At least you don't have to, oh at least you know you can get pregnant. At least you know, and you just think, no, no. <laughs> so yeah, that is my one piece of advice to anybody is just don't use that expression. And I think sometimes the best thing to say is just, I don't know what to say. Mm. Yeah, it's to be honest. That, yeah, you just, I think the hardest thing is people ignoring you because they don't know what to say. I think one of my friends, she just, uh, the whole thing was just, that's shit. And I just went, yeah, it is. That was all we needed to say because you can't make it better. So trying to is kind of fruitless and just frustrating. So frustrating. Mm. And I mean, to say that it's a life altering event, it, I just, it would just be completely life changing. And obviously, yeah. it has been for you with kicks count and everything you've done since I mean I'm, I bet you can't even imagine a life without kicks count now <laughs> no I can't and, it's, and I'm I'm really yeah. grateful actually that it is a life-changing event and uh, um, yeah I think that's a, a, probably an understatement and yeah. I'm really grateful that I've been able to make it a positive life-changing event because the the natural way for it to go is the other way is for it to be completely a terrible life-changing event and obviously at the time it was but I think what I've got out of it and the, the work that kicks count have done I think for me makes it feel like a positive life change Toby has saved 
the lives of so many babies. Yeah, and I think that that makes such a difference to me as well. And I often hear if it can save one baby, it's worth it. And I've never really signed up to that narrative because I kind of think, well, no, one baby, one for one. I, I would rather have had my baby. But when you know it's saving hundreds of babies, you uh, not that you would wish for that to have happened, but you kind of feel like it's a worthwhile legacy for him to have left rather than, you know, if he could only save one baby, why couldn't it have been him? But yeah. I think the fact that it has been so widespread and it has saved so many means so much to me and is so satisfying and worthwhile. Yeah. I'm actually getting quite emotional now, so I'm just going to take a minute. I'm going to have to edit. <laughs> edit this bit out. I'm just so grateful. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> sorry. <for laughs> you set me off. <laughs> I don't want to set you off. So, you've created this incredible legacy for Toby and as I've just said, saved all these other babies' lives. But it all, it must have been brewing for a while. And you said that it came after the birth of Josh and you're on maternity leave and then thought, I need to be doing something else just to carry on this mission. And it sounds like it was almost a bit of a calling for you that Mm. it was unfinished business really to keep going. So firstly, pregnancy after loss, I think is something that is so not talked about. And I mean, I think it's beginning to be a bit more talked about Mm. on the miscarriage side but on the stillbirth side and actually having to go through labor and delivery to not then take your baby Mm. home at the end of it how was that pregnancy for you and how did you psychologically get through that because I had my own anxiety with my second pregnancy and I didn't even go through what you went through so how did you cope Oh, I I hated it. I I'm not surprised. it was nothing was safe. We were never at a safe point. I couldn't enjoy any of it. You know, going shopping and buying stuff. If I was looking at a baby outfit, I was looking okay. If he's stillborn, is this the outfit he's going to be buried in? And I wouldn't buy a car seat because I thought, well, what if we don't need a car seat? What if he dies at the hospital and I don't take him home? You, you know, there's no point in buying a pushchair. I was so disorganized. I wouldn't buy anything because I was just thinking, yeah. well, you know having to take it back to the shop that's going to be a faff if I have to you know return the car seat and it was just all these thoughts that just were ridiculous and well they weren't ridiculous they feel if you're saying to somebody like oh have you bought the car seat well no because the baby might die it's like uh what that is such a kind of weird attitude to have but those thoughts are so intrusive they are and they took over the whole pregnancy I think so every niggle every little bit of it was stressful and then people would say oh you must be so happy now that you're having another baby and you just go yeah well he's not here yet so it's just you're just waiting for something to go wrong all the time and yeah, when he was born, thankfully for, for him or for me, he was such an easy labour. His due date was Toby's birthday. And I oh, really? went to the, the consultant. I said, look, I can't give birth on that day. That's Toby's day. He can't share it with anyone else. And Emily had shoulder dystocia when she was born. So she was an emergency birth. And so they did say it would actually be worthwhile to induce you two weeks early mm. to avoid the shoulder dystocia element. Yeah. So the baby and, wasn't so big. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was due to be induced two weeks early and then he arrived naturally three weeks early and 
Oh my goodness. So what, 37 weeks? 37 weeks, yeah. And he was a fairly straightforward labour, straightforward delivery. He cried as soon as he was born. He was put straight on my chest. You know, compared to the previous two, it was so easy. And I think I needed that more than anything. I think any kind of interruption or anything that went slightly wrong in the birth would have just been even more traumatic. But thankfully, he was, he performed. (laughs) He understood the assignment, as they say. Oh, bless him. And did the hospital give you a lot of support with that third pregnancy? Yes, they did. And a lot of the things that we do with Kicks Count are based on, obviously, experiences that we've had. And you're probably there more than you would usually be because everything Mm -hmm. is worrying you and you just want that reassurance. And having to explain every time that I lost my last baby, this is what happened, it was so hard to do it every time. And then if you go to a reception desk and they'll say oh is this your first and you say no and then you go do I say it's my second do I say it's my third you know do yeah. I and you don't know what to say so you know it's not my first oh how many others have you got and it's all very nice conversation and it's all well intended and nicely meant but it's yeah they don't know yeah it's one of those things that is awful conversation to have because you go well I don't know whether to say this is my third baby and then you have to say that my last one died or whether to say this is my second and just pretend Toby never existed so it was Mm. a really hard thing so we did actually end up bringing out the I've had a previous stillbirth or I've had a previous neonatal death stickers that could just go on the notes and it's blatantly obvious if you don't want to have that conversation that they can pick it up and go, oh, okay, she's had a previous stillbirth. I won't ask her what number baby this is or anything like that. But they were always understanding once they knew about that. And the care in all my pregnancies has always been exceptional. You know, I haven't had a complaint about any of the care I received. The midwives were always happy to see me, whether it was because I'd lost a baby or not. Yeah, they were really understanding and really kind. So I was grateful Mm -hmm. for that. And did the hospital ever get to the bottom of what happened with Toby? Yes. So Toby couldn't have been saved. My placenta had a trisomy. So it was a mosaic trisomy. So although Toby was fine, the placenta wasn't. And so it just basically started starving him. So he basically died of, I think it was called anti-mortem anemia. Okay. So yeah. He was, yeah, I mean, he, when he was born, he was porcelain white, like mm. just no color at all. So he couldn't have been saved. But when I then met up with my friend who'd had the stillbirth a few years before, her baby 100% would be here with more uh, knowledge on baby's movements. And mm. her story just frustrated me. And the woman who actually founded Count the Kicks. Her story is the same, that her baby would be here. And I think it became my passion that there are some babies like Toby that sadly can't be saved, but the ones that can be saved, we sure as hell should be doing everything we can and Mm -hmm. making sure, because, you know, it's bad enough going through that experience when it's inevitable, when there's something that can't be changed, but so few stillbirths are caused by something like that. So we need to do more. We need to be stopping people unnecessarily going through this much pain and this much heartbreak. So, Mm. you you know, it was just a no-brainer. I just had to do it. And kind of that passion was there for my own grief, but also knowing things could be done. Just that sense of injustice that you just think... Why isn't this information out there? Why don't people know this? Why is there this misinformation? And I couldn't agree more. There's just 
Elizabeth's page and the Kicks Count charity have so much great information on this. So was there a particular turning point where you thought, okay, I'm actually going to go for this and make this happen? So it had been set up by somebody else. But what I was doing is while I was on maternity leave, I was trying to find things that I could do that may help prevent stillbirth or support people who'd had stillbirths. So I was looking at becoming a counsellor or becoming a sonographer so that I could try and identify babies that were at risk. I looked at becoming a midwife. I looked at all these things that I could retrain as. And I thought, well, actually, I don't really want to support people who've been through it. I want to prevent it happening in the first place. So I was then Mm. looking at things that I could do. And I found this local charity called Count the Kicks. And I just thought that is exactly what needs to happen. We need more awareness of babies' movements. That's the thing that's going to change it. That's what we need to do. So I got in touch and it was just being run by one other woman and it was local to me as well which was really fortuitous that I just went oh this is like it's meant to be it's just meant around to be corner, yes. yeah around the corner yeah. it's exactly what I feel so passionately about after Amazing. hearing about my friend's stillbirth and the movement situation so I started just volunteering for them doing uh, shop orders sending out wristbands things like that and then the founder didn't want to do it anymore and I felt so passionately that this was was the thing that was going to change it so I said we'll just sign it over to me and I've, well, I've been running it ever since but it was hard to do because it was such a small charity so rather than going back to work and working for the police I set up as a childminder at home so that mm-hmm. I could work full-time as a childminder spend time with my children and then in the evenings and weekends I could do the charity and kind of build that up and it did it probably took two years of seven day weeks 16 hour days but eventually we managed to build it to a more sustainable stage that I could then focus on this full time and it still is such a small charity there's me and one other at the moment but we've got such big ambitions and it's definitely working it's definitely getting there in terms of getting the message out and spreading the word but yeah it was a difficult couple of years to get to this stage where it's a working charity I'd say it's a movement it's amazing and the people who do know about it I mean I've seen Holly Willoughby Mm -hmm. you know who've been supporting it just getting that exposure but I sort of thought that it had when I'd seen it because your stuff had been so large and all over the antenatal room I thought it was an NHS thing Mm. so I was really surprised to hear that it wasn't but were the wristbands something that you guys came up with well, we didn't come up with them. There was It was a mum who devised them to help her keep track of her baby's movements. They really work. Yeah, the wristbands are an interesting thing because people want us to be able to give them out for free. But unfortunately, the amount they cost to make not, and yeah. ship and things <laughs> yeah. like that, and you kind of go, well, if the government want to give us a million pounds for us to give out 700,000, then... <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, we don't get any government funding. You know, the government have this target to reduce stillbirths by 50% by 2025. And you kind of go, well, we're we're helping you. We're doing the work. We want to help reduce that figure as well. So it's kind of like everyone has to work together. You can't say we're not going to provide that for the NHS. Everybody has to work together on this. It's not a a competition. We all want to reduce the stillbirth rate. Well, we just need to get someone in power that has 
a little bit more mm. <laughs> common sense about these things. And please just give Elizabeth a million pounds. Yeah. That would be really <laughs> nice. <laughs> if anyone's listening, come on, if guys. Love, love uh, yeah, well, I was really pleased because a friend of mine actually bought one for her sister as a pregnancy present. And I thought that's a really great gift. Mm. Hi, sorry to interrupt. If you're feeling inspired by this episode to go back to work happy and confident, then what are you waiting for? I'm the founder of The Springback Guide, and it's an online series of videos just six minutes long each so that anyone can fit it into mum life, focusing on putting yourself first again, getting your confidence back, working better with your partner, and also showing you how to figure out whether you're in the right job at all. And of course, what to do if you're still not sure. If you're already back at work, but feeling stuck and unhappy, it's for you too. It's all designed and led by me to provide you with amazing career and life coaching at a fraction of the price of face-to-face coaching. If you're still not sure or just want to see where I hang out, you can come and chat to me on Instagram at springbackguide. Okay, sorry about that. Let's crack on with the episode. When I've talked to other people about it, you must have felt the same after Toby, which is it's quite difficult not to impress your own experience onto other people when they're in the sort of baby joy. But in my head, I don't know if you had this. I'm sure that you did. But I was a bit like, oh, that's a bit early. That's a bit early to be making plans. I am. You know, funnily enough, just like in that period after I'd lost Toby, it was really frustrating for me to see pregnant women and it was awful but I would just go well you're just walking around like you're going to have a baby and you don't know that you might not have a baby and it was an awful Mm -hmm. mindset to have and you didn't want to burst their naive bubble but sometimes you did just want to say but it might might not what if it doesn't what if it doesn't and over time I've now adjusted that I think then my mindset was or every baby is going to die there is no way that anyone's going to have a healthy delivery and I think now 10 years down the line knowing that most pregnancies do end with a happy healthy baby the majority of babies are born happy or healthy Mm -hmm. and alive. So I think my mindset in that has changed and I don't find it frustrating now that people are in that naive bubble. I want them to be aware of how important the movement side is and the fact that it can happen. I want it to be on people's radars, but I don't want it to be that everybody is constantly worried about their baby being stillborn because that's just not healthy for anybody really. But I think when I was in that immediate post-loss bubble, that was all I could think of. And you do want to make people aware that this does happen and it is a Mm. possibility without letting it take over and be Mm. all-consuming. You know, because I found when I was going through my pregnancies, I was told so much about cot death. I was told so much to put the baby to sleep on its back. And when I was buying things for the baby, I knew it had to have an empty cot. I knew all these things to help prevent cot death, but nobody had ever mentioned stillbirth to me. And that was 10 times more likely to happen than a cot death. So is that right? Is that yes. Statistic? So, so stillbirth is 10 times more common. Yeah. I mean, still Gosh, not common. Still, I mean, we, I have to emphasize, you know, that it's fortunately it is rare, but it's one of those things that just doesn't get the same. It's almost too taboo, I think, because I think you can kind of remove mm. yourself. You can learn about the risk factors of sudden infant death, but you're one step removed from that because you haven't had your baby yet. So I don't know if that makes it more palatable mm. to be able to think of how you're going to prevent it. Whereas stillbirth is the more immediate threat, but we just don't talk about it. 
So I think breaking that taboo is one of the big things, just so you can identify the risk factors or you can identify if there is a problem, but also be aware that it can be prevented. Absolutely. That takes some of the fear out of it, I think, and puts you more in control rather than scared. You're so right. It is such a taboo. I mean, even knowing that we were going to have this conversation today, it was just like, it's almost such an awful topic Mm. that I don't even know how to ask about it. How can I possibly ask this woman who has been through the most catastrophic? I I cannot even, I can't imagine because I I can't. Particularly if you have this type of personality where you think, oh, I don't want to worry somebody or don't be morbid or, you know, she's just enjoying her baby body. Don't let your experience ruin hers Mm. or whatever. And it's like, well, you're not trying to ruin it by talking about something horrible, but it is horrible. But as you say, it can be prevented. So it's just so important. And I think that Kick Count does it really well by saying feeling your baby move is a sign that they are well. It's about just saying, you know your baby best, you know your body best. And being in tune with what's happening in your tummy is important, Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. What it boils down to is trust yourself, trust your instincts. But we do need to have more conversations where we can talk about it and we can learn that it's okay to ask people about it as well. And Mm. often people who've lost a baby want to talk about that baby because that's the only memory they have. You know, you don't Mm. get the yearly birthday parties, you don't get the general play dates, the chit chat, you've only got this short time, this short memory, and you do want to talk about it. You do want to talk about them. You want them to be part of your life and you want them to be part of other people's consciousness you know you want them to be remembered and they they matter just as much so I I think maybe removing that fear of asking people is also a good thing absolutely and do you do something special on Toby's birthday every year yes yeah we do something every year and every Christmas and I was thinking about it at Christmas actually because I took some flowers to his grave and I take a photo by then So I think, why is it so important to me to get this photo every year? And I think because it's the only photo I get, it's the only changing photo that I have. I've got the pictures of him. I've got my scan pictures, but that's it. And they never change, you know, and you take a photo of your baby every year on their birthday or whatever, and you can see them changing. So for me, the picture of the grave is kind of my moving picture, my picture that can be updated every year. I can get a new picture. And if we go on holiday or something, I'll write his name in yeah. the sand and take a photo of that. Or you know, with skiing, mm. I'll write his name in the snow and take a photo of that anywhere I can. And it's just a way of keeping it fresh and alive I think so it it feels like he's still here he's still with us it's wonderful that like obviously that changes as the charity is getting bigger and it's it's growing all the time I can always see your like follow account just creeping up Mm -hmm. and it just brings me so much joy to see that but where do you see the future of Kicksack going you say you've got really big ambitions so magic one territory where would you like the charity to be in 10 years I would like it to be in every hospital I would like it to just be so ingrained in people's mind that almost the charity doesn't need to exist that everyone just knows automatically you go as soon as someone says oh you're pregnant oh right okay if anyone ever says oh my baby's not moving as much right then you need to go and get checked and it just to be second nature for everybody it would be Mm. my absolute dream but wherever happens there will always be more that can be done you know Mm. so Mm. it's kind of a never going to stop and do you find that reassuring or not reassuring I find it reassuring that the stillbirth rate has been coming down year on year it's the lowest it's ever been so it's that's amazing it's definitely going in the right direction. I don't think we'll ever get the stillbirth rate to zero, but 
you know, we'll, well, I'll certainly keep going as long as, yeah, Yeah. keep going as long as I'm, as long as I'm here. It's such a noble cause. And I just think that lots of people listening will just think that you're amazing. And this charity is just absolutely fantastic. The work that you guys do, but I mean, there's one question that I want to leave all the listeners with. We're running out of time, which is such a pain because I could just talk to Elizabeth forever. <laughs> but anybody who's listening who has experienced a stillbirth or somebody who's listening who knows somebody who has, what is the best advice you can think of that you might give them? I think for the people who've had a stillbirth, it's so important to know you're not alone and to find other people to talk to, share your experiences. You know, your baby mattered. Your baby is important. I think there's a lot about people feel they shouldn't share things about their baby for fear of scaring other mums. And I think they should. I think if you want to share your baby, you share your baby. And find some way of remembering your baby which is what I do in obviously with kicks count but also with the photos that I take but also that feeling that dread doesn't last forever you know it's a grief it's like all grief it never goes away you never get over it but you do learn to live with it and you do learn to manage it which I think is really important which is what I thought when I first lost Toby I didn't think that would ever happen. I thought this is my life now. My life is just this dark cloud forever. And, you know, coming out of that was really hard, but it it did happen. And I think if you're supporting someone who's lost a baby, the important thing is to take their lead. If they want to talk about it, let them talk about it. If they don't want to talk about it, then respect that. And certainly don't say at least something rather. That's the big don't do that. But just follow their lead. And there's no right or wrong way to support somebody because everybody's different. Everybody will want something different, a different experience and I loved personally people asking me about Toby I loved telling his birth story so it was actually the night of a general election and we were up watching the results come in and like playing this Eurovision game with all the the different (laughs) candidates and it it was really bizarre but it was one of those little things that you don't get many fun stories in a stillbirth you know and it's So to be able to tell those little snippets of interest were really nice for me. But for some people, they don't want to relive the experience over and over again. So it's very much listen to the person and respect whatever it is that they want. That's really good advice. And I don't know if there's any particular resources you want to share in terms of stillbirth resources. We do have a book called Life After Stillbirth, which was written by a lovely woman called Sarah Nelson. And we publish it. It's available on our website. And it's really useful because it's just a lot of different people's experiences, how they handled the funeral, how they handled dealing with other people, siblings, all things like that. And we've also got children's books as well. So we've written a children's book about that called I Will Always Remember Our Baby. And then I wrote one for Josh as well, because Josh actually struggled more with the loss of Toby than Emily did, because he felt that he was replacing Toby, but that he wasn't good enough to replace Toby or Toby would have been better. So trying to explain to Josh that he's just as special and trying to explain that to him was really hard. So I have actually written a book called I Am Your Rainbow and that's kind of aimed at the rainbow baby to explain that there was this uh, baby before but that doesn't mean that they weren't wanted or that, you know, they are 
a replacement. I, I always say, you know, it's an impossible concept for us as adults to grasp that a baby could oh, die. Yeah. So for a child, it must just be even more unfathomable. So I'm hoping the books do help. I'm absolutely positive that they will. Like, please, anybody who's listening, please go and check them out. But also, most importantly, check out Kicks Counts, a charity. If you're pregnant or if you know somebody who's pregnant, do them a favour. Buy yourself a wristband or buy somebody else a wristband. And they really do save little lives. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart thank you so much um for joining and sharing such a difficult story which you probably told a thousand times it's such an important message i will happily tell it forever so i will continue to tell it well thank you so so much you made it you've reached the end of the springback guys podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did Please rate it five stars to join everyone else in spreading the word about how to go back to work happy and confident after your baby. You can find me on Instagram at springbackguide or if you're feeling really inspired, head to springbackguide.com to go for it and invest in yourself. Okay, see you soon.